You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 453, Initiations. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we set out with the mission to examine an episode of Star Trek and follow it into a discussion of the meanings, morals, and messages contained therein. This week, Initiations, the one where Chakotay finds himself on the wrong side of one very persistent Kazon youth trying to show off for the others in his gang. I'll be right back with trivia after Norm tells all of you how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now here is John Champion with this week's trivia. All right. Today's episode, Initiations, was written by Kenneth Biller. Not a new face around Voyager, of course. We just talked about his episode, Jatrell. But this is the first one where Ken gets a singular credit for both story and teleplay. He did have some help, though, from Jerry Taylor. And it was Michael Piller who uh, was coming back over to Voyager, who had some very helpful advice for Ken at this time. He really saw that the Kazon needed some character and social distinctions uh, to make them separate from other Star Trek antagonists. So he suggested using street gangs as a model, and that prompted Ken to write up deep backgrounds on how the Kazon operate and what motivates them. This was directed by Wienerisch Kolbe, and uh, as we would expect, of course, he's back for more Voyager after we most recently talked about his directorial work on Faces. I'm so glad, I'm sure that you were too, Norm, and everybody within the sound of my voice to see a return to Vasquez Rocks. Now, Vasquez? Yes. Why is that not a t-shirt? This really should be a t-shirt. It really should Rocks. be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now, we, here's the thing, though. Like, we don't see the exact same angles of rocks that we saw back in, you know, Arena or some of the many other times that uh, Star Trek has used this location, but it is very clearly Vasquez Rocks. So great to see them there. And let's see, this episode was the first one to be filmed specifically for season two. Unlike, now remember the last episode where we said the 37s was actually shot as part of season one. In fact, this episode started shooting on July 11th, 1995 for air in early September. And I note the date specifically because on that day you could walk across the street to another soundstage and find that another show, Deep Space Nine, was also starting to roll cameras for the very first day of their upcoming fourth season episode, The Way of the Warrior, which would air in October. Now, keep those dates in mind when we get to the guest stars, Oh, which is right now. All right. So all of the guest stars we meet this week are Kazon, and in prominent roles, there are three in particular, all of them, Star Trek repeat performers. 
There's Haliz, the number two of the Kazan ship. He's played by Tim Dazarn, and we first met Tim back in TNG's sixth season episode, Starship Mine. Remember, it's Die Hard in space. We also caught him again in the DS9 episode, Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night. And when he's not in intimidating Star Trek roles, he can be found intimidating cinema audiences in movies like The Cabin in the Woods, Fight Club, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the 2006 remake. We have one more upcoming appearance from Tim in a Voyager episode in the seventh season. There's Razig, the head Kazon in charge, played by Patrick Kilpatrick. Think back to DS9 when we covered the siege of AR-558, and Patrick was there as Reese, one of the soldiers who was defending that location. You may remember that Reese survived, and you may also remember from the trivia on that episode that Patrick has a lot of feature films under his belt, including, amusingly to me, the 1984 trauma production, The Toxic Avenger. And uh, you may also remember that Patrick will be back for us for one more appearance on Star Trek. And finally, wow, well, the focus of our story today, the young Kazon named Carr is played by Aaron Eisenberg, fresh from Deep Space Nine. And yes, the two series were filming at the same time on the same day for their season premieres, but Aaron's character, Nog, was not in the season opener for DS9. So why did the production bring in a series regular from their sister show that was just next door? Interesting story. It wasn't the intention. Uh, Jerry Taylor and uh, Rick Berman and everybody working on Voyager decided that they wanted to audition somebody new to play this role. But it's very difficult to cast for a 14-year-old child when you have to also take into consideration there's tutoring. There are certain restrictions on the times that they can work during the day. So they actually auditioned Aaron, even though he was right across the street at the same lot. They auditioned him for this role and decided he was good. And they decided it would be a lot easier to have an actor who was in his 20s who could play young rather than trying to hire a teenager and work around the demands of that schedule. Last episode it was a truck, this time it's a car. What's next? A bus? Prologue. Commander Chicote cruises space on his own in a shuttle in order to perform a solitary ritual honoring the anniversary of his father's death. In his moment of quiet reflection, the shuttle is rocked by phaser fire from a Kazon vessel. When Chakotay hails the attacker, a Kazon boy answers, announcing his intention to kill the intruder in Kazon space. Act 1. Chakotay does all he can to evade a fight and reason with his Kazon attacker. When that fails, though, he returns fire, badly damaging the ship, but he beams the boy out of there just before it explodes. With the Kazon on board his shuttle, Chakotay doesn't have much in the way of options since most of his systems are failing too. A few light years away on Voyager, Neelix has a spare moment to confide in Janeway that he's feeling a little left out from the crew. He is appreciated as chef and morale officer, but maybe he could stand a little adventure from time to time. Janeway is called to the bridge and brings the Talaxian with her. The news is grim. 
Chakotay's shuttle hasn't returned as planned, so Voyager sets a course to find him. On board the shuttle, Chakotay greets his attacker, a teenage boy who seems just as nervous as he is vicious. He says he is called Carr, and when a Kazon ship comes into range, Carr seems even more unsettled when Chakotay hails them to inquire about returning the boy. The Kazon ship doesn't reply, but they do turn on a tractor beam, dragging Chakotay's shuttle closer. As they get closer, Carr asks Chakotay to kill him, because there are worse things than being killed by one's enemy. Act 2. Captured by the Kazon, Chakotay demands his release, but Haliz, his guard and the second-in-command, refuses. Carr is also being held with Chakotay, and he demands to see Razik, the first mage of the Kazon Ogla. Chakotay thinks he should be able to reason with the person in charge, but Carr just points out that they are surrounded by the trophies of Razik's successful kills. That's how he earned his position, his name by Kazon rights. And it's a privilege that Chakotay has taken away from Carr in life or in death. Still trying to track Chakotay down, Voyager arrives in the right area only to find debris and an ion trail, one that they will follow. Razik finally shows up to see his prisoners. He makes a beeline for Carr, though, expressing his total disappointment and disdain for the boy. He then gives him a kiss, but with the chilling words, I forgive you, know that in your heart, before an absolutely terrified Carr is led away. Razik's attention turns to the trespasser, Chakotay, who should know better than to be in Kazon space, though admittedly trying to figure out what exactly is Kazon space is a difficult matter. To Razik, it's all academic. Chakotay and his Starfleet aren't welcome here. The uniforms represent the oppression they felt by other hands until they fought for their own independence. The execution will be tonight. Act 3, good news on Voyager. They've identified the debris they picked up, and it isn't from Chakotay's shuttle. It's from a Kazon ship. Bad news on the Kazon ship. Chakotay is about to be made an example of by Haliz. The Kazon have brought other children to see a human, and even Chakotay's claims of being a gentle man fall on deaf ears. The kids scramble to get a phaser offered by Razik and be the one to kill the interloper. Nah, just kidding. The gun's not for them, it's for Chakotay to kill Carr and teach a lesson to the young audience about failure in battle. Chakotay, threatened by Razik, creates a little diversion when he drops the weapon, tackles Razik, and threatens to vaporize his head unless they let him go. He agrees they'll prepare the shuttle, at which point Chakotay offers a ride to Carr, since it's better to be on the run than to die without a name. Give the kids some credit. He sees the better offer and disarms Haliz so they can make their escape. That escape doesn't last long before the Kazon start firing on the shuttle, and Chakotay plots evasion tactics while Carr encourages him to turn around and fire. No, that would certainly lead to more death on someone's part, and Chakotay is dedicated to breaking that cycle today. They can't defend against a ship that big, and he'd rather land on the nearby Class M moon, which Carr points out is actually a Kazon training location. The firefight continues, and the shuttle takes some serious damage to his aft hull. The shuttle spins out of control toward the atmosphere, with part of its outer paneling ripped away and gases leaking into space. Not long after, Voyager finds itself in the same general area, following that ion trail and now beaming aboard another piece of debris. Milana makes the positive identification. 
It's a piece from Chakotay's shuttle. Act 4. Chakotay and Carr were able to beam out just in the nick of time and find themselves on that uninhabited moon. Carr is still angry that they didn't fight back, that even if they think he's dead, he won't earn his name in battle. Chakotay says they'll have to work together to find shelter and a way off this moon. But surprise, the whole place is crawling with deadly, um, oh, uh, what do they call those things where you, you don't see them coming, they're hidden, but they can kill you? Um, a booby trap? A booby trap. Right. A booby trap. Thank you for playing. Yeah, those traps are part of the Kazon Ogla training routine, and Kara knows how to avoid them. Back on Voyager, the EMH confirms that no human remains were found with the shuttle debris, so Chakotay may indeed still be alive out there somewhere. A good candidate location would be that M-class moon, but a scan reveals what Chakotay has already discovered, all those traps and weapons. They'll proceed with caution, and communications will be spotty at best. And in a surprise move, Janeway assigns Neelix to the bridge with Tom Paris so he can keep an eye out for any approaching Kazon. In a cave on that moon, Chakotay and Carr have found shelter. Chakotay sets up his tricorder as a homing signal, but there's Carr, still threatening to kill him so he can earn his name. Chakotay explains that his uniform was earned through hard work and study. So they have something in common. They both see the value of working for the things they honor. Only Chakotay's is more like study and be a good officer, while Carr's is more like kill my enemy. For Carr, it's all about territory, the thing always worth fighting and dying for. But for Chakotay, land isn't something you own. His worth is about loyalty and the courage in his heart. When Chakotay falls asleep, Carr is awake first deactivating the tricorder, then pointing his weapon at the commander. He can't do it, though, and tosses his weapon aside and reactivates the tricorder. Act 5. On Voyager's bridge, Harry Kem announces the arrival of a Kazon ship, and Razik hails them. He confronts Paris, in command, about being in Kazon space, but Paris pushes back, and then Neelix steps in putting two and two together, and the Kazon don't want to draw attention to this place, hence why they haven't opened fire. They're all looking for their lost crewmen, and perhaps they'll all just leave when they get them. With Janeway and her crew beamed down, there's no way to get a message to them that they are about to have company. Unaware of what's happening above them, Chakotay confronts Carr in their cave. He was aware of Carr creeping around in the night, and wants to know why he didn't kill him. Carr says he is a coward, but Chakotay says he thinks just maybe Carr is starting to realize that he is not his enemy. That leaves Carr with a bit of an identity crisis. He has nowhere to go. He's not Starfleet, and no other Kazon sect would accept him. He expresses again that maybe Chakotay should have killed him. The away team, in short order, are confronted by the Kazon crew who are there to help. Okay. It's a cautious kind of cooperation. Still, Carr and Chakotay are in their cave, and as Carr is talking about the Kazon breaking free of the Trabe, who subjugated his people until 26 years ago, the tricorder alerts them that there are both humans and Kazon coming their way, and Chakotay comes up with an idea, making it look like Carr has killed him, thus allowing Carr to return to the Kazon and earn his name. 
With communications finally clear, Chakotay alerts Voyager to prepare sickbay to resuscitate him when he beams up. As the search parties get closer, Chakotay relays to Janeway that a young Kazon has taken him hostage and threatens to kill him. Hearing this, the Kazon spring a trap for the Voyager crew, and off they go to find their own. But the trap doesn't hold long, and Janeway and her team walk in on the cave just after the Kazon do. There they find Carr, pointing a weapon directly at Chakotay, just as they had planned. But when Razik says something about earning his name, Carr says Chakotay is not his enemy, but he is. Carr fires and kills Razik, then offers himself to the new first maj, Haliz, swearing loyalty under his new name, Jal Kardin. Chakotay and the others can leave, but with a warning from this new Kazan warrior that he will not hesitate to kill them if they run into each other again. Later, Chakotay takes a moment to pray to his father again, asking this time to watch over a boy with a difficult path, Jal Kardin. The End Fantastic recap, John. And uh, I, I know that for many of us who have not been initiated yet into listening to Mission Log, if you're a new time listener, welcome. Your initiation is about to begin, about initiations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Yes. Right? No, that I was good. Look, I, I like to think that any episode could be somebody's first Mission Log episode. And very well so, could be their last. Yeah, who knows? Well you know? So. Yeah. But but we, we aspire to initiate you into the proper process, and right now you are part of the observations segment of our show, looking at, after the recap, looking at some of the uh, high points that uh, may have, yeah. you know, floated into our, you know, into our line of fire, in a way, the, the things, so to speak. The things that stand out, the things that stand out, like like this first thing, where I might send a memo out, or, or just, just kind of walk under the bridge and get the attention of the people who are there and say, guys, 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 Chakotay needs some privacy, and we need to respect his wishes and his traditions. Taking the shuttle is fine, although it's weird that you keep doing this, just sending people out on shuttles light years away. But can't you just be like flying in parallel, <laughs> at least just to keep sensor readings on them? Like, is that too much to ask? It's also a holodeck on board, but hey, that's just me. So, <laughs> right? That's true. That that's is very crazy true. Talk. Yeah. Speaking of crazy yeah, talk, yeah. though, John. So, mm-hmm. when when Jacote is under fire, when he's trying to like do the tactical things, why yeah. are there so many buttons? Honestly, like, okay, I get it. I know that it's very cool looking. Elkars is amazing. You know, props to anyone who worked on the design. Michael Kuda, Doug Drexler. I love you guys. You know I do. But so many buttons. And all he has to do is press one to fire phasers. But he's like holding down one, like modulating the other one. I'm like, guys, just give me a red button. Make it easy. And especially at a time of battle. That's really what you need. Yeah. A big red button. You know, we need that. I will never let this go till the day that either I'm no longer walking the earth or I'm not podcasting for Mission Log. I <laughs> hate Chakotay's medicine bundle prop. I hate it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it just looks fake, like faux, like faux fur, faux leather. It just looks like it was yeah. bought at Spencer Gifts from like your <laughs> local mall. Right. Right. I, I just wish it was just a little bit rattier, like a little bit more antiquated, you know, because it's it's sacred, right? It's something that, oh, by the way, it's also non-existent in the middle of the episode. So he gets another fake medicine bundle, right? <laughs> Is there a setting in the replicator to just replicate a new <laughs> fake medicine bundle? <laughs> I'm telling That's... you, baby, it's not mine. 
I'm telling you, it's not mine. One medicine right. bundle with Chakotay's name on it. <laughs> One receipt for a medicine bundle. So, okay. So on the shuttle, Chakotay is piloting from the, it was on screen camera left, actual yeah. screen right or yeah. seat right. That's European. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, you're right. right? You're so right. Is it like you get the metric system in Starfleet? You get the European Ooh. seating system on Starfleet? That's a good point. I, I wonder if, like, from day one, whenever they started shooting these practical shuttles, they were just like, you know what? Camera angle is going to be better here. We'll put you there. That that honestly might be the decision-making there. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I, I will say this. Like, uh, the effects may not look perfect, but I do appreciate that there are a number of new shots for the shuttle in Kazon skirmish. Because, you know, every series reuses shots from time to time. But we got a lot of new stuff there and some of the underneath shots, shuttle going overhead and the upside down bit. Kind of cool to see that. Another cool thing in this episode, I really like that little moment between Janeway and Neelix. Not because – look, Neelix can over-insert himself into situations. I think we will find that from time to time, <laughs> no. you know. I know, I know. But the reason I like that scene is that she is being an honest, good listener. You know, like she she's even if his concerns are not as important as, say, if Bolana came in with something. But they're important to him. him. They are. And she's right? showing him that respect. Yeah. And that's really cool. Now, I will say this, that I, I hope they don't run the Neelix's food is bad gag into the ground. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. A lot of runway yeah. ahead getting back to the Alpha Quadrant. So. Yeah. Um, I do like the, the little bit of improv. I think it's improv where he's straightening up the picture on one of Janeway's tables. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I like that too. It was a good moment. Okay. Yeah. So when Janeway and Neelix, when they pass through from her ready room onto the bridge and then they give them the update on Chakotay, obviously they know that Chakotay, there's something awry because he's been gone for several hours. Janeway says, have you tried hailing him? And like, at what point... <laughs> This isn't that like automatic. It's kind of like the whole like you know we're in trouble. Have you tried auxiliary power? And the you know like Scotty would like why wouldn't that be the first thing that I tried? Does a captain actually have to say that in order for it to happen? Right. I, I know. I know. Right. Yeah. It's it, yeah. That, that's a weird one. I, I do want to ask how does Chakotay know that Carr is about thirteen? Because you don't know anything about Kazon physiology. True. He could be thirty. We we don't know. You know, but. Yeah, I, I get it. He's a boy. He does sun him a couple times, though. I'm like, dude. He does. Like, he does. This guy could be like <laughs> twice as old as you. you. You don't know. You're right. You're right. absolutely right, John. And right. here's a weird thing, though. So they take Chakotay's prisoner, right? Mm-hmm. They tractor beam his shuttle in. They take him prisoner. So why does he still have his comm badge on and his tricorder attached and to his, his uniform? tricorder. <laughs> because they love technology. Exactly. You would think that they would take it. It's like, yeah. I'm stripping you down for all the parts that's on your body right now. You're just going to have the clothes that you're wearing and the boots. But everything else technologically is ours. Because it's yeah. all about that technology that defeated them. That defeated yeah. Carr, right? Exactly. So, exactly. A little weird. I love it when we get lines in the script that are just so, like logically flawless even though they're almost nonsensical and my favorite one in this episode our territorial claims change every day maps do not serve us well (laughs) (laughs) you cannot argue with that nope like no no maps indeed do not serve you well because you just change the borders at at your whim you know love it that's the basically the delta quadrant version of gerrymandering so 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. We need these people to vote for us, so we don't need maps. Yeah, because yeah, that changes re- voting. Exactly. Change it every day. Exactly. We change it so often we can't even remember where it is. This is why all these different K's on sex are fighting for power because they have absolutely no structure <laughs> for their for their That's districts. It. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so uh. the whole Razi kiss of death thing. I thought it was really cool because it was very Ooh. kind of like Godfather 2-esque with Michael yep. and Fredo, right? Yep. It's like, you failed me. I'm going to kiss you, mm-hmm. give you a good meal, and then things are going to go badly for you. Yeah. Okay, so here's that logic thing, John, because you bring up logic many times Uh-oh. with the Kazon. Yeah. So <laughs> if there are no second chances in battle, and then Razik said, we're at battle, we're always at war with the Federation— then when mm-hmm. Chakotay gets the drop on Razik, why isn't Razik or Razik made the example? Oh, because yeah, there are no second yeah, chances yeah, yeah. in battle. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, actually, it, it's good that you point that out because maybe, honestly, that's what's going through all of their heads. And then it takes Carr to pull the phaser on him at the end to complete that that cycle complete that uh, uh, that thought because it, to me that is a, a scene that feels a bit out of place like mm-hmm. dramatically it works but logically it feels out of place maybe i just need to go back and appreciate that moment because yeah like you said and it, maybe there's a bit of intimidation factor because he is the maj mm-hmm. So that then is the impetus to actually accept his assassination. I may, I'm getting ahead of myself there, but may, maybe maybe I can rethink that moment. You know, you know, or also like maybe it could have been bookended at the end where you know Chakotay's like you didn't have to shoot him, and then Kara would have said there are no second chances in battle. Uh, see, there you go. That's it. That's it. Oh, we are getting out of ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I know, darn it. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, for, for them to name that class M moon Tarek and then have it spoken by Aaron in this episode, it sounds awfully close to Tarek as in Tarek Nor. Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. anyway, yeah. So there's a conversation that uh, that Tom Paris is, well, he's actually stating things. And he's talking about Chakotay shuttles. Like, is this Chakotay's shuttle, the debris, et cetera, et cetera? And then Janeway mm-hmm. looks at him and says, that's speculation, Mr. Paris. Isn't that what they're doing like the entire time up until this point is speculating? <laughs> yes, like, why did she exactly. like just whiplash yeah. him with that, with that line? Yeah. And yeah. I have to note, I love Robbie and I love Tom Paris and I love the mm-hmm. way that he brings Tom Paris to life. But this entire episode, there was a lot of kind of face pulling from, yeah. you know, from Robbie. Just like he's pushing yeah. buttons and mugging faces. I'm like, not a lot to do here for you. And now Janeway comes down on you for saying something that everyone is saying. What is yes. happening with the shuttle? Right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, back in that shuttle, I do love how Chakotay's evasive pattern Omega-1, it, when you see it, it's basically like flying a straight line away from the ship that's shooting at us. Right. <laughs> like that's, that's what it is. Yeah. you Because, know? again, that affects budget. you got to keep it under control. <laughs> but he did a loop-to-loop um, at the very beginning, though. They did a loop-to-loop at the beginning. Right? That was the, the whatever evasive pattern that was. This one is just like, keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I do love the line that, uh, that Carr has. Live ammunition is a very effective training tool. <laughs> True. 
<laughs> Wait, that wasn't Carr. That but was anyway, ne- yeah. Neelix said that, I think, right? That was Neelix. Yeah. It was Neelix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great line. And Neelix Great is line. flexing all over the place here. So, yeah. okay, yeah. so I'm confused because I, too, like to speculate about what happened to Chakotay's shuttle. So okay. let's put it on the timeline. So, so Chakotay's shuttle is plummeting towards the moon. We saw that its aft area is completely trashed, and I'm yep. sure it's disintegrating. It's breaking apart as we speak. They're trying to do the mm-hmm. emergency transport to Vasquez Rocks. Yeah. Later, you know, um, Dr. Picardo, you know, he has all the garbage in his sick bay analyzing it. But they and they extrapolate that this is from Chakotay's shuttle, but they're neither they're not close to the moon. They're not even visual range to the moon or in visual range of the scanners or even referencing the moon. Which, by the way, they would have seen that big honking Kazon ship already anyway that's what i mean and they're, they're not even moving like the stars aren't moving in the in the conference I, room I'm like guys you got to yeah. tie this together a little bit better yeah right yeah there there definitely were other ways to do this yeah. uh to figure out the timeline of getting voyager to that moon speculation um, speculation yeah right. yeah uh good to know that chakotay is a heavy sleeper that he didn't hear that phaser being <laughs> chucked cross scale although he he really did actually and a good moment for aaron just you know what he can do there without any lines just feeling kind of the nervousness in his performance i thought that was really good stuff and i know this is coming way later based on the timeline of the production schedule of this but this mm-hmm. is kind of like you're, you're seeing kind of like um you know it's only a paper moon level of quality mm. of acting from aaron here you know, yeah, and that's yeah, yeah, agreed. Speaking of other great performances, uh, really nice to see Neelix on the bridge there, and he has another great moment. That is so good to just see him come into his own there and have the the confidence to talk back to Razik there. I thought it was a nice scene. Oh no, I thought it was a little bit of a flex for him. You oh know? really? Cause like, okay. Well, because okay. Tom's like, well, I mean, no disrespect to, to Ethan or that part, but you know, yeah, Tom's yeah. like, all oh, like, you're going to talk to me. I'm the commander of this ship, and he looks like, wait a minute. I kind of am. Or are we kind of <laughs> sharing this together? I don't know. It just seemed odd. Fair. So, fair yeah. enough. You know, I, I do love that uh, they refer to Voyager and say, well, the surface won't support a landing. Talking about that moon. Dude, you're at Vasquez Rocks. You were just at Bronson Canyon last week. It's like miles apart. You're you're fine. Yeah, literally, the budget <laughs> can't support the landing is what's happening. Yeah, right exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Code white, a uh, new term that we learned this week. Uh, so I guess that's what you say when you're the doctor just waiting around to resuscitate someone. And presumably he's still waiting. Hope they let him know that, no, no, we don't need you to do that. Uh, but had that little gambit worked out, a little bit of like a, like an amok time kind mm. of strategy there. Like, oh, we're going to fake like someone's dead. And then there'll be big hugs at the end of the episode. Try a compound level of fake out. Right? Yes, there yeah. you go. That is how much uh, fakery there would be. Try ox level. And I do like that little double fake out. Uh, with the case on, oh, my colleague is trying to deceive you. Go over there. <laughs> like, <laughs> Get what? That was really nicely handled. That was cool. It's like, I don't understand, like, why Janeway even tries anymore with the case on. Every single time that she, like, deals with the Kazon, there's some kind of guile or mischief or something goes awry. Like, first it's oh, an assassination sure. on her ship. Now she's getting, like, you know, caught in four hidden force fields surrounded by a, a booby-trapped planet. I'm like, why are you yeah. even bothering anymore? Just go to war with them, really. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, speculation, uh, because yeah. that's what we're doing. We wildly speculate about these things. Mm-hmm. So did Chakotay 
replicate a new medicine bundle at the end because the one on his shuttle is obviously destroyed. So is there like, you know, Chakotay pattern, replicator pattern Omega that makes a new medicine bundle for him? Uh, Omega 1. Yes, it is Omega 1 <laughs> replicator oh, bundle. right. Yeah, re- replicator pattern Omega 1 is just instant bundle uh, that comes with that cool, uh, you know, peyote Esque vision quest uh, little device that he gets to use. So and, yes, that and, is in there. And fatty acids, of course. Right. And fatty acids. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, look, Chicote. Look, look where you are at the end of this episode. You are there, safely on board Voyager, and you still get to have the honor and the sanctity of your ceremony, but not on a shuttle light years away from your home ship. Just saying, like you just you ended up where you should have started. It looks like the gang's all here in this episode, which actually seems to be a bit of a problem. We will get right back to initiations, but first a word from this week's sponsor, and that sponsor is you. Well, it's you if you signed up for our Patreon, and you, who I hope will sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash mission log. Um, we have a great time there. If you join, then you immediately get access to our unexpurgated, unedited shows a week in advance. Uh, you get the community that is our Patreon. You get access to exclusive swag that is only sent out to our Patreon guests. And most importantly, the heart and soul of our Patreon member experience is the Mission Log Discord exclusive for our Patreon supporters. You know, Norm, some people have been emailing me saying, hey, how do I join Discord? I hear you guys talk about it and say it's great. Well, when you hear us talk about it, you hear us talk about it in these ads for Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log. That is how indeed you would get it. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. So when you go to patreon.com slash mission log and sign up for the package that you would like to support us with, you have the access to everything that John told you about. And uh, thanks to one of our newer members, you have who was surprised at this specifically, uh-huh. you actually have access to us, yeah. John and myself, on a, you know, from time to time and on occasion, and more often than not, when we appear on certain things like our Mission Log After Dark, where we talk about the podcast release of the week live with mm-hmm. you, if you're a member of our Discord. We also have other live programming, such as talking about the Orbill with Captain Mike and Jessica Lynn Verde, talking about the newest episode that was released that day for Mission Log The Orville, which you can also see on YouTube, and then other live programs when we feel like we just need to get together and talk about the fun stuff. Yeah, so the fun stuff is what it's all about. Join us there at patreon.com slash mission log. By the way, a shout out to some of our latest members who have just signed up, John, Scott, Esther, T. Ski, Stefan, and Chris delightful to see you all there and we look forward to many more great conversations on our discord again that's exclusive for all of you at patreon.com slash mission log all right on with the show you know we've had this very interesting thing norman where we've had some shows we feel like oh maybe there wasn't a whole lot of meat on the bones not a whole lot to discuss in terms of morals meanings messages or those debatable points i feel like this is one of those where it's not necessarily that there are debatable points there are just sort of character moments that fall the character reveals that we are getting throughout this episode and some of those not necessarily surprising i think there's not a whole lot 
surprising about Chakotay in in the sort of uh, integrity that he has and the way that he deals with Carr being a child. But I think there is some kind of bigger overarching ideas that set the scene for where we are with these characters. And those are the ones that I want to start out with and maybe get your thoughts. And of course, always open up to our listeners when they hear this show. One thing that I think just right out of the gate is very difficult for Chakotay to deal with because he can't even express it to the Kazon with any utility is the idea that he finds himself in a war that he did not join. <laughs> you know, the Kazon mm-hmm. just constantly, right. you're in our territory. We kill people who are in our territory. You are our enemies. And Chakotay say, all we're trying to do, we're on the ship trying to get out of here. We're just trying to pass by. We have no beef with you. We have absolutely no reason to fight you. We just want to go. And they say, well, no, you, you've now entered into this war. And, I, you know, from a Star Trek perspective, a show that go back to Next Gen, that very much prides itself on finding the diplomatic solution to things, especially when you get into the situation where where the violence can escalate, you keep negotiating, keep negotiating. But at the same time, Voyager's prerogative is to just get out of there. So how do they navigate this? How do they do this and actually make the case to say, like, no, 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 stop shooting at us. We don't want any part of this. Well, too bad. You are being handed a part of this. Well, you have all of these, and I mentioned this before in observations, you have these handful of events that have shown a pattern of how dangerous the Kazon really are towards anyone that crosses their paths, especially Voyager, because I have to believe that even as primitive as they are in some respects, I mean, they do have warships, you know, they are warp capable, they have firepower, and they are dangerous enough to use it and flex on that, Mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to their enemies and uh, obviously each other, because they don't have any maps or territories that have any defined borders, you know, or, or restrictions about it. So what are the Kazon? I think that's the most frustrating thing for me right now. It's like, what do they represent? Why are they the way they are? And why isn't there some type of like power struggle or hierarchy that can be exploited or can be applied? You know, or in terms of what maybe what Chakotay is like having a hard time dealing with is like, what are the defined parameters of tactical options that I can put that t- towards my advantage and towards uh, Voyager's advantage? Because pretty much right now. Everything what the Kazon says is pretty much like quicksand, mm, right? Mm. I'm going to do this, but I'm not. I'm going to try this, but I'm not. I'm going to like alliance with you, but I'm not, right? It's just everything is very, I wouldn't say wishy-washy because they obviously have a purpose, but their purpose is really nebulous and undefined. And I just find it, let's see, what's the right term? Wacky. <laughs> well, I, I'm gonna. I, it's just I, so wacky. I'm gonna take a little bit of a different uh, angle or or different reaction uh, to that than you do because those elements that you point out, I I kind of like about the Kazon. So what I don't like about the Kazon is that I feel like from the beginning uh, we've been handed this thing with them where uh, okay they they have technology they have these big powerful starships that can get oh, them yeah. you know it, through interplanetary distances but they don't have water uh, okay they need to figure out a replicator or they just need to 
go-to places they can get water, <laughs> you know? So we know that. But when I, when I read that bit about uh, Ken Biller being influenced by Michael Piller to kind of look at this from the perspective of, okay, what does a street gang want? Well, they want territory because to them that territory represents power. And that, uh, of course, that is exactly what Carr says. I must protect my territory. Territory is power. And that that's very clear cut. Even though there isn't, you know, to you or I or somebody who's not in that situation, it may not make a whole lot of sense. But if that's all you've got, if that's all you have and all you have been told is worth fighting for, then that can be a pretty strong human motivation or, or be a strong motivation applicable to humans as well. And I think mm-hmm. that's Star Trek doing a pretty decent sci-fi job of putting that kind of ugly human attribute on display through an alien. So I, I can understand this is like when you have nothing else to fight for, you find these things to fight for because they give you identity. And these are people like uh, how important earning a name is to Carr for people who have so little and feel like they have had to fight back so much. If that's all they've got, they're going to fight tooth and nail for it. And I think there's a certain irony here, though. But that's what I want to see, though, John. I want to see the tooth, and I want to see the okay. nail. All right. And I don't really feel like I'm getting that. I feel like they're more lucky than good. Uh, like, and and that, that may be the case. That may very well be the right? case. Yeah. I mean, case in point, we did kind of make light mm-hmm. of this in observations, but if they were doing a systematic um, you know, extermination of their enemies, then what they would have done to Chakotay was take his shuttle, take his technology, and kill yeah. him. That's the tooth and that's the nail. But they didn't. They literally let him go. There was no fight to stop him on the ship. They really could. Oh, I dropped my phaser. Oh, I'm captured. Oh, I let it go. Right, right, right. And and, uh, yeah, so I I agree with you there. Dramatically, that probably did not play out in the best way to actually (laughs) express how ruthless they are. (laughs) But but I I, I keep trying to put this into context so that they're not Klingons. They're not Romulans. They're certainly not Cardassians. They lack this sort of internal structure. They lack this hierarchy to really get them beyond where they are because like here's something that i found ironic and interesting is the the kazon are so proud of their independence from the trade from the uniforms Mm -hmm. as they call them you know but then they have given themselves this dogmatic social and moral structure regardless and literally just swapped one dogmatic regime for another one of their own creation and it and it says something about just the the lack of vision the lack of purpose the lack of motivation that they have it's just like okay look we're only free now for 26 years that's it according to uh car but they have some means they have these powerful ships they have this drive to fight because that's all they've known so then what do you do with that and they don't have a really good sense of what to do with that. To me, that makes them dangerous because they're just in it for the fight because they think that's all they have. That's a fair point. And I think that it'll be interesting to see like the, the relationship that they had with the trade, mm-hmm. because for all of you out there, we're watching this as if we were watching this in real yeah. time. So we don't know anything further than this point in time. And I mean, I have to believe that with the Kazon, what we've seen so far with, you know, with a culture that 
can't either create their own water or find a you know water supply you know that is advantageous to them with the technology that they have i have to believe that whatever technology that is at their disposal that makes them as powerful as they are right now is stolen mm. it has to be right because they don't even have their own uniforms yeah which is why they hate other uniforms yeah, right right i think right yeah they're, they they are sort of rebels without a cause at this point, you know, or a wardrobe. Uh, or, or, wardrobe, or shampoo. Right. Well, that, let's talk about Chakotay a little bit here, because th- this episode was designed to get Chakotay back up on his feet, get him doing something like make him the center of the script here. And I appreciate that there is this element of fatherhood. Uh, especially bookended by this idea of him reaching out to the spirit of his father, separated by, obviously, the distance of death, but literally the physical distance that he can't even go to a holy place to to honor that. Uh, But then here he is stepping into the role of this father figure, trying to be this father figure to this kid. And it's really nice to see that sensitivity on display and the continued respect that he shows to Carr each and every turn, even when, as he points out, like, look, I keep saving your life. You keep trying to kill me, but I'm going to keep doing this because th- mm-hmm. this is what's right. You know, and, and what I appreciate through that is that through his actions and through his words, he is doing his best to impart a moral code and a sense of self to this kid who has neither. Well, he has a moral code, but it is, by our estimation, immoral or amoral. Well, he has a Kazon moral yeah. code. I mean, that's yeah. for sure. And I, I think that's a great observation. I didn't really see Chico- the, the book ending of Chakotay in that way. But, you know, there was that scene where, even though the dialogue came off as being a little stilted and kind of corny, mm-hmm. he's like, I'm a gentle yeah. man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What's hard to reconcile of... of from Chakotay's personality, and I'm going to get to this way later on in, uh, well, not way later on, but later on in, you know, um, my, my, my final mm. wrap up. I'm having a hard time right now trying to reconcile who Chakotay is based on the very little information that we have of him. Is he Starfleet because he is a of the uniform type of person? But then he's also Maquis because he wears the pin. Yeah. So you have this wonderful kind of like this the imparting of wisdom and his attitude towards Carr. But at the same time, though, he's coming at it from completely a Starfleet philosophy. Yeah. Right. Of honor, of service, of of respect, of of camaraderie, of being a family, of being dependable, of having this code. But what about the other part of you that forsake or forsook mm-hmm. yeah. all of that? Well, the, 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 so. maybe we should think of it this way, that, you know, Chakotay has the Starfleet background. He He understands how it works. He certainly had dedicated a part of himself to that until push came to shove and he decided to throw in with the maquis but the maquis are made up of a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and a good chunk so are the Kazons. So are the Kazons. but but hey, but with the maquis mm-hmm. uh you have this you know these vast differences of people and some of them probably do come from this uh this sort of uh, high ideal moral code that something like Starfleet has to offer. So even though you could throw a guy like Chakotay in there, he can see it as, well, look, I have to compromise this part of myself because I think this other goal is for the greater good, right? But I think you have other people who join the Maquis who maybe some like we met very recently in Learning Curve or, or prior to that, uh, Seska, <laughs> um, 
who throw themselves in because then it becomes open season to justify whatever else it is that they want to do. I mean, Seska is a little different case because she's a spy. You know, we, we, we get that. But it, it's sort of like take somebody out of any other context and you throw them into this loosely structured maquis uh, that essentially has some goals, but they lack a cohesive point of view. They lack a cohesive uh, code. It's just we're fighting back against this terrible situation. And within that, you're going to have people like Chakotay, but you're also going to have people like Eddington. You're going to have... But yeah. I think that there was an opportunity here for Chakotay to have imparted both sides of the equation mm. onto okay. Carr. Okay. Right? Where, you know, because Carr right now is like, he's, he's in that stage of how do I, you know, how do I stand up for myself? And there's a certain level of ruthlessness, I think, that the Maquis had to stand up for themselves. You know, they had to, they were the, you know, they were the, their own version of freedom fighters. They had their own version of honor. And I think that there would have been a nice way of kind of maybe Chakotay finding some kind of clarity and shedding that part of you know his past as he's talking to Carr about well this is what we would have done when i was serving this mm. cuz again you know there's we didn't ha- we don't have a lot of information about Chakotay to really feel like his character is building upon these moments but um i, I wanted to see if we could switch uh topics to something that i might <laughs> I apologize now if anyone finds this controversial. I really do. And that's not <laughs> why I'm going to say or why I'm going to address sure, what I'm sure. going to say. But all that being said, I really do think that Aaron was miscast as Carl. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up uh, because yeah. I, that, that, the, my final note here is really what happens to Carr. And, well, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's coming back, but I don't know because I haven't watched ahead. I don't know how much of the Kazon are coming back. But, you know, we're left in this very difficult situation with him. But the thing is we're, we're spending all this time and effort on this one Kazon character, and he is very clearly played by somebody who we know very well from another series. And I don't know if the effect would have been different at the time in 1995 when – Voyager is coming back for its second season, but uh, DS9 is coming back for its fourth. We've gotten a good amount of Nog up until that point, but we haven't gotten the Nog who goes through the siege of of, uh, AR-455. AR-558. We haven't gotten the one in It's Only a Paper Moon. So our our emotional attachment, our memory might be a little bit different, but there's something that still didn't... it, it, It took me out of it. Well, I think what it was for me, and this is like if taking what you said aside, because yes, we have you and I have we're so close to have finished uh, finishing Deep Space Nine, you know, in Mission Log that obviously seasons you know five through seven very very heavily influence our understanding of Aaron and Nog. But take that away, and you're left with an actor who's playing younger but who's really playing older he's coming across far older than Mm. i think who Carr really needs to be Carr, because chakotay addresses him as son because chakotay looks at him as a child because he is like Carr is literally on the you know he's at that fragile age of becoming an adult based on you know the real world i'm talking about 20 21st century real world initiation Mm -hmm. process of a gang member being told to execute somebody Mm -hmm. that was this story but we're not seeing that through the fragility of Carr because aaron's so good at playing strong 
and older. So we're not getting the emotional beats that I think that we need. We don't, we're not seeing kind of like the self-doubt, the fragility, the, 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 the cowardice or the shame or the terror you know, that is happening, especially in the cave. So I think that there's that moment where you needed to have someone who not, I mean, and Aaron is a very well physically built mm-hmm. young man, yeah. you know, in, you know, in this episode. So you don't really feel like he, he can't take care of himself because he obviously mm. can. There is obviously a mental shackle that's happening here. I'm going to address mm-hmm. that later, but I think that if you actually found a, um, and let's be honest, a, a weaker, slighter, you know, more uh, effective, younger actor to play this this part, I think that the relationship with Jacote would have been far more believable. Yeah. No, that that's that's a good point, and and there are things that I couldn't quite articulate about what it is that I think is missing here. But you may have hit the nail on the head there, uh, as far as what the shortcoming is there, and it's not to take away at all from Aaron, uh, who. No, 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 not no. at all. And that's not that's not no, what I'm saying no, 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 at no. all. Uh, yeah. But I, I think it sounds like the production sort of got into this corner about how they can carry this off and can they find the right young actor to carry it off, both from the point of view of the acting chops, but as well as logistically what they needed. And then here was this person right next door, literally, who could do it and who had a, a good audition. But... Even given that, we have to hit some different kinds of emotional beats in this story. And that might partly be the casting. It might also be that the script needed another pass. But maybe we can talk about that in our wrap-up. It's a good thing Carr turned up in an episode of Voyager, a series devoid of his natural enemy, Kit. So we're at the very end of our episode, and for all of you who have joined us or your first listeners of Mission Log, you're welcome for your initiation on initiations. And we are going to talk about, as we always do, does the episode hold up, does it withstand the test of time, and then wrap the entire thing up with, did we find any morals, meanings, or messages contained therein or within? And we're going to start with Mr. John Champion about this episode. Well, I I think the the episode just sort of stripped of any context. The premise here, I think, works pretty well. Uh, it's the kind of thing that Star Trek has done more than a few times, where you just sort of get two people of opposing sides together. They face a common challenge, and they try to find something of the humanity in each of them, even if the other one isn't human. <laughs> That's okay. Shades of Enemy Mine, uh, if you're a fan of that movie, which I am. Uh, but it, it, it's one of those themes that reoccurs in Star Trek, and I, I think that's great. I, I think that is perfectly a fine thing to do, particularly when we have a new series with some new actors that we're trying to explore, as they did with this one, trying to give a little more to Chicote. All right. It's as good a premise as any to get something else out of him. But there are elephants in the room that need to be addressed, and uh, Norm, I'm glad that you brought it up in the last segment, which is, first and foremost, is Aaron in that role as Carr, because here we have a very recognizable Star Trek actor in a similar role, not not the same by any stretch, but a similar role to what we get in DS9. You have this young person who is sort of 
challenged by the presence suddenly of someone from a different world, ideas from outside his own kind of narrow world that he's been brought up with. And then how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you reconcile those things? And there was a, even though he had managed to suppress Nog here, and we can look at Nog as a different character, there's something else that Carr needed whether it was, as you point out, like the vulnerability or, or just the, the youth that he needed for us to, to really see him as somebody different. And to reiterate, this is not in any way a slight on Aaron. Aaron was a terrific actor, and the, the heart, the passion, the soul that he brought to Nog, absolutely extraordinary. It's a little strange to watch this one, though, and hear his voice come out from behind that mask. And, and I think that there's a bit of a problem there just immediately in asking us to swallow the way this episode is put together then. I think there's a lot of aspects of this episode that are okay in the respect that, like I said, they're doing this course correction for Chakotay. Since we haven't seen a lot of him stand out other than, may I just point out, punching Lieutenant Dalby right in the face. You love that in scene. the mess hall, just right in the <laughs> face, just did it, you know. Yeah. Um, so, other than that, the, we, we don't have too many standout moments for Chakotay, and the, the script was a direct attempt to correct that. So, it's designed around giving him something to do and allowing a bit of action on his end, and it mostly works in that regard. The problem is. I don't know that I really feel much of the danger here, and I'm not deeply invested yet in what the Kazon are up to. And maybe that goes back to what you're pointing out, Norman, whereas I, I can kind of accept the idea that they don't have much direction. They're, they're just so pent up, <laughs> and they have this newly found power after 26 years, or within the last 26 years, and now they're just lashing out, taking whatever they can get. They're trying to define the Kazon, but they still haven't quite gotten there with this episode. It's just still not quite there. So if the episode as a whole passes and passes into the territory of it does hold up, I think it only does on the strength of the performances. The script and the action are just both a bit meandering. Chakotay and Carr get good character moments, but I don't know that the story itself holds me much beyond that. So uh, what about you? Well, I think that we're, we're on the similar page here because where you're saying um, we're not getting enough, I have this... I have this kind of uh, way I'm looking at Voyager episodes when I'm you know, in, in the final analysis, and I call it the just enough factor. Hmm. So this episode, like many other Voyager episodes do for me, it's just enough. You know, mm. it holds together just enough. It's solid just enough to convey a quality production. It has just enough, uh, you know, interest so that audiences will tune in to keep the series going just enough to show that there's interest in it. <laughs> uh-huh. Everything is kind of like at this just enough level. That's how I feel about Voyager right now in my viewing experience. And it probably will change, but mm. that's what's going to be interesting about this journey. And like I said, I've said this about episodes many times, and it sounds like a broken record, but there is technically nothing wrong with this episode. Yeah. Aside from that, it's just enough narrative for us to care about Chakotay and his struggle between the Federation and the monkey. It's just enough to care about Carr's situation and how he's kind of like trapped within these kind of two worlds. 
the issue is right now with the Voyager episodes that we've seen, and I think we've been very consistent about you know our critiques. It just doesn't go deep enough into the subject matter to feel like we actually care about the characters deeply, with the exception of, say, Jatrell. Mm-hmm. We just, I feel personally, and John, maybe you feel the same way, and maybe Sue, uh, as do people in the audience, I feel like that I'm always at a consistent arm's length from the characters in this series, to the point where I know just enough about them. And they have just enough good moments for uh-huh. me to be able to continue caring just enough to get to the next episode. And, that, and, and I really want that to change. Uh, it, so that, that's such an interesting way to put it because I was talking to somebody else not that long ago about how Voyager starts off with this really strong pilot where mm-hmm. you feel like you get – to use your phrase, just enough of the characters revealed in this organic way where it doesn't feel like, not like Encounter at Farpoint, where for all its strengths, the weakness is that it feels like a pilot. And you're just like, oh, okay, we're this many minutes in, we're going to bring in this character, and then they have to meet, and it doesn't feel organic. Voyager has this very strong pilot where we get this sense of character relationships almost immediately, but then it's like they they pump their own brakes, and then you get fifteen more episodes where it's just like, oh, okay, we're just going to show you a little bit of this character here or there. Or in a case like Tom Paris, we're going to completely get the character wrong, <laughs> and then <laughs> then try to get him back on track. And here we are with Chakotay now, mm-hmm. and what you're saying really really spells it out because Chakotay has been mostly entirely bland nothing wrong with him but just kind of bland up until now except for punching lieutenant dalby in the face in the mess hall right Mm -hmm. okay but then you get to an episode like this and this should really be the dramatic moment for you to just go so deep into this character so you you can't not think about him the more you go into the series, you can't not think about his his sort of inner psychology. That's what we did get out of Neelix. I mean, like you just said, you know, you come along with an episode like Chitrell, and then you can't forget that Neelix has this trauma. It changes the character at the center from of that of moving forward. forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but they haven't found that. We've had 16 episodes to get that with somebody like Chakotay, who is so important to the series. Well, yeah. I think that the, also the big issue with Chakotay is that he's been really kind of underutilized, woefully underutilized in, and I don't think used like correctly in these first, in, well, at least in the first season. This is second season. His, his, you know, his premiere episode, his focus episode, which we really didn't get at all in the first season. I think the issue is, is that if he is so Starfleet Oriented, if his belief system is so strong in that respect, to the point where he would have this grand soliloquy in front of Card and saying, the Federation, the uniform, you know, what it all comes with, the studying, the discipline, etc., etc., mm-hmm. then why are you wearing the Maquis pin at all? Take it off. Yeah. 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 It absolutely means, at this stage in the game, it means, it means absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah. At least to him, the way that he is so devout about his Starfleet ideals. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But you're no longer walking the path of the Maquis. That entire thing, for better or worse, because we're not going to, I don't think we're going to get any resolution about that. Just take that entire yeah. issue in the narrative and then just, just divorce it from the rest of Voyager right now because it really doesn't matter. If it doesn't matter to Chakotay, the character that's supposed to bring those two worlds together, it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Right now. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. 
All right, well, let's talk about morals, meanings, messages a little bit. I, I didn't give it too deep of a dive here because I think that what the show is giving us is very much on the surface. It's very, like, spelled out in the episode. And again, it's about these kind of character reveals such as they are. As far as the big themes here, and I mentioned Enemy Mine, I mentioned the the tendency for then Star Trek to kind of put two opposing characters together to let them try to find common ground, and that is what they do here. As tenuous as it may be, that is the the starting point for forging an alliance, forging a relationship, and not seeing each other as that thing that needs to be defeated or subjugated or killed. So they have to find common ground. And Chakotay says it a few times, what's so different about us? You know, he, he's really drilling down here where he can with Carr to figure out not just who Carr is, but who does Carr think he is and what are those places that they can find that common ground. There's also, you know, Ah, what 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 a difference just a little indoctrination can do you know um car's whole reality is based on the beliefs that he has been handed by this structure this this culture around him uh, just like chakotay's but chakotay's is a little more broad-based chakotay's is certainly a little more benevolent uh chakotay's certainly has the ability to welcome other ideas uh, whereas cars does not you know but but from either direction the power of those beliefs or stories or rituals they could lead car down a certain path just as they have led chakotay down a certain path down a path of peace or down a path of destruction it's all about the ideas that come into play. Uh, you know, actions are motivated by beliefs. And that's what we have on display here. And it, it's only when we have that opportunity or we allow ourselves to step outside of those beliefs or stories or rituals and see them from another point of view that we can start to make hopefully good or better decisions. I also will say that, you know, we've we've kind of taken some shots at Chakotay here, but the, the things that are respectable here about him is this theme of respect and being, as he put it, a gentle man. It's really nice to see Chakotay take this kid under his wing and try to impart this idea that you can have strength in gentleness, you can have strength in respect, that strength doesn't just mean the ability to fight and kill an enemy, that it can actually mean something that is much more powerful in the end. I think you and I are actually we're settling on a very similar moral. I like how you use the word indoctrination because that's kind of what is happening with uh, car storyline. Um, you know, I, I settled on the the aspect of you're more than the choices that have already been made on your behalf. Right? Uh, <laughs> I like so, that phrasing. Yeah. For example, when Halise speaks for Car and said he'd rather die like a, a collagen dog for uh, with you, Federation. Why do you think Car ran away? It's like I don't want to mm. die. Yeah, you know I don't. Yeah. I don't want to die because you say that I should die because that's our indoctrination. Mm. So I want to share. I, I know I've shared this before in you know long ago when I think I first started doing these shows. But mm. for the initiation for all of you new listeners, I want to share one of my favorite stories. As a man was passing the elephants, he, stun- he suddenly stopped, confused by the fact that these huge creatures were being held by only a small rope tied to their front leg. No chains, no cages. It was obvious that the elephants could at any time break from their bonds, but for some reason they did not. 
He saw a trainer nearby and asks why these animals just stood there and made no attempt to get away. Well, the trainer said, when they are very young and much smaller, we use the same size rope to tie them. And at that age, it's enough to hold them. As they grow up, they are conditioned to believe they cannot break away. They believe the rope can still hold them, so they never try to break free. The man was amazed. These animals could at any time break free from their bonds, but because they believed they couldn't, they were stuck right where they are. And that young elephant in this story is Carr. Yeah, 100% it is, yeah. He's being held by the Kazon through the sheer power of conditioning, or the way that you phrase it, John, perfectly, indoctrination, Mm -hmm. until he's old enough to make certain decisions for himself and dictate his own destiny. But he can only choose right now to act in the way of his emotional conditioning. Similar to many of us who, at a certain age, our choices were already made for us. Our identity, our religion, our politics, even though we don't understand politics at that age. (laughs) Even our friends or people who we were allowed to associate with. Mm -hmm. So how do we even stand a chance against that kind of consistent and unforgiving conditioning. And how can we come to terms emotionally when we even try to challenge the society that judges us for exploring our own independence? When Carr decided to free himself from the conditioning that kept him shackled to his people, the Kazon, even though he chose to remain with them, it was his choice and not the one based on shame or fear that he was suffering from. So to sum all of this up, because we love discussing music quotes. Oh, I, I, this is why this is why I tune in each week. This is what I, <laughs> this is what I'm here for. Yeah, I will leave us all with a passage from Rush, their song "Entre Nous" from the album "Permanent Waves." Yes. Just between us, I think it's time for us to recognize the differences we sometimes fear to show. Just between us, I think it's time for us to realize the spaces in between. Leave room for you and I to grow. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Projections. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Schabel. I'm starting to think that all the Kazon territorial wars are happening because one group of Kazin is hoarding the hair care products. transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.